Welcome back to the Fitness Drifter podcast. My name is Abby, and we are talking today about bulimia in men. I've previously talked about binge eating disorder and orthorexia nervosa. Both of those I do have some direct experience with. Bulimia, however, I do not have direct experience with, so I'm relying largely on information that's publicly available and from speaking to people that have or have had bulimia. I've had behaviors which started to overlap with some of those of bulimia, but I don't think I've ever reached a point where in a clinical setting, I'd be diagnosed with it. Whereas with binge eating disorder and orthorexia, fairly confident I would have had a clinical diagnosis. So what is bulimia nervosa or bulimia? I'm just going to call it bulimia for short, although the clinical name is bulimia nervosa. The term was first described by psychiatrist Gerard Russell in 1979 in a journal called Psychological Medicine, and you can still read it online. I've included a link in the show notes. People with bulimia go through periods of eating a lot of food in a short period of time and then try to remove it from their body. And that can be through purging, through laxatives, through inducing vomiting, or it can be through long bouts of exercise. The eating pattern itself can overlap with the binge eating disorder. And I have talked before about having both and explained why it's unlikely you'd ever be medically diagnosed with both at the same time. And I have got a YouTube video on that as well. So I'll link that in the show notes too. And if you are relying on exercise as a way of removing that food from your body, that can also overlap with some of the behaviors that get exhibited in orthorexia. With orthorexia, it's more specifically wanting to remove foods that you deem unhealthy or impure. Whereas with bulimia, I get the impression it's more just generally removing food from your body. But having said that, while some of the behavior patterns can overlap, bulimia is its own separate eating disorder. There is over. It's just helpful to know that there is some overlap between them sometimes. I've got a few stats and I'm not 100% confident in them. So I'm linking my sources as well. And I'm going to talk you through them as well in terms of how common bulimia is. First thing to note is that it's difficult to get clear stats as, as prominence of this eating disorder varies a lot between different specific populations. So between Eastern cultures and Western cultures, it seems to be more prominent in the West, between developed and developing countries, between city and rural. A 2005 study estimated that 1 to 2% of women aged 15 to 40 have it. And for men, that range from studies seems to vary between 0.1% and 1.4%. Generally, studies do seem to agree that women get it more than men. And some have estimated that it's nine times more likely in women than in men. And I've included a link to that as well. So it's difficult to know for sure. But to try and get some firmer stats, I did try and do a little bit of uh, calculation myself. In the UK, there's this eating disorder charity called BeatEatingDisorders.org.uk, or BEAT. According to them, a 2017 study suggested that 19% of people who have an eating disorder in the UK have bulimia. It's second only to binge eating disorder in terms of specified eating disorders. BEAT also estimates that 1.25 million people in the UK have an eating disorder, of which 25% are male. So kind of mashing up three or four separate studies, which I know is, has absolutely zero scientific method or merit to it. But if I was to take those stats and try and mash it up. So if 1.25 million people in the UK are estimated to have eating disorders, of which 19% is bulimia, that's going to be 237,500 people that have bulimia in the UK. If we say that women are nine times more likely than men to have bulimia, then based on that calculation, that would lead to an estimate of 213,750 women and 23,750 men. Like I said, I've mashed up three or four separate studies there to try and get some kind of estimate for the UK at least. But there's zero, there's really not a lot of scientific merit to my method there. I did also see a study mention that 70% of male athletes in weight class sports, so you're thinking things like boxing, wrestling, judo, combat sports, those kinds of things, even bodybuilding, engaged in dieting and disordered eating behaviors that can overlap with bulimia. So it does tend to affect women more than men. 
and it can be much more prominent or much less prominent dependent on the specific population that you're looking at. There are quite a few famous faces that have openly spoken about having eating disorders or about specifically bulimia. Princess Diana is believed to have had it. It's depicted quite graphically in Netflix series, The Crown in season four. That was probably the first time I've really seen it depicted vividly, the eating and purge behavior. If you're in the US, you're probably not going to know this, but if you're in the UK, the cricketer Andrew Flintoff uh, has openly spoken about it and he did a documentary for the BBC about it. Lady Gaga spoke about it in 2012. Other celebrities, Elton John, Ed Sheeran, Zayn Malik. There's actually a Wikipedia page with a list of celebrities who have had bulimia. It's not exactly uncommon, even if it's not the best known or best understood. And with men, with the kind of male stereotype, it can just be seen as a big appetite sometimes. So it normalizes that sort of like binge eating pattern instead of acknowledging that it could be a potential disorder. My first exposure to seeing someone else with an eating disorder was actually a male with bulimia. It was quite a long time ago. It was in a UK TV series called Biker Grove. One of the boys had bulimia in it. I can't remember the name of the character or what season it was because I wasn't watching it that closely, but I did try and Google it. And apparently it's a character named Joe and it was in season 13, but I don't remember the details that well. I just remember that he had it and he had a hard time speaking to his family about it. Let's look at some of the symptoms and behaviors in bulimia and the impact on the body. Some of the behaviors will be fixation on the number of calories consumed, fixation on body shape, size, or weight, or maybe more than one, low self-esteem, regular trips to the bathroom, anxiety, sleep disorder, and depression, frequent occurrences of binge eating. So I define binge eating as a large volume of food in short span of time to the point of feeling uncomfortably full, frequent use of laxatives and compulsive or excessive exercise. Imagine if someone's left on their own, they're a little bit stressed or a little bit emotional or whatever triggers their binge behavior has happened. So they're not feeling hungry, but they will go and eat almost anything in sight. And that's something I can, I've experienced because that happens with binge eating disorder as well. But then what differentiates bulimia from binge eating disorder is that with bulimia, you end up going for that purge behavior. Shortly after that binge, you might try to induce vomiting or you'll take laxatives. Or you might try and do a huge amount of exercise, like a really long, sweaty cardio session or something like that to try and get it out of your system. In terms of the impact on the body, I'm going to choose my words carefully. I don't want to compare eating disorders and try and let like, turn it into a contest where I say one is worse than another or anything like that. But if you think about the fact that with bulimia, you're trying to induce vomiting, which means that you are going to be vomiting more regularly, which means that the acid from your stomach is going to be churning up and coming up your digestive system, that can have a more acute physical impact on your body than probably the impact of other eating disorders. I hope that makes sense. Like all eating disorders are devastating and brutal and have a huge impact on your health. In terms of the sort of like short span of time, that sort of acute physical impact, I think that's something that stands up more in that sort of like acute time period with bulimia than probably the other eating disorders. But that's just kind of my own reading understanding. But like I said, every eating disorder is devastating and has its own impact. And it's not like one is better or worse than the other. Let's look at some of the short and long-term impact of bulimia. If you're vomiting up the food you're eating, you are going to be dehydrated. You are going to be malnourished. The acid is going to cause tooth erosion, damage to your mouth, inflammation of the esophagus. If you are trying to go for excessive exercise, you're going to be putting yourself at risk of injury. You'll be feeling stress and anxiety around food. The chaos on your digestive system is going to be causing digestive problems. And then there's other things as well because of the malnourishment, low sex drive, hormone imbalance, dry skin, brittle bones, a lot of physical symptoms just that come from malnourishment. One physical trait of bulimia, which stands out to others as well, is sufferers with bulimia can be prone to having their face more swollen. What happens is vomiting increases saliva production. The glands which produce saliva are in the cheeks. As they're producing more saliva, they swell. So the swollen glands lead to swollen cheeks. 
what causes bulimia? As with other mental health conditions and eating disorders, there is no exact known cause and a lot of factors can be involved. A 1998 study did suggest that there is a genetic element to it. There have been other studies that I'm really not fully qualified to interpret, but I did try and read that suggests that other hormone imbalances, lack of serotonin, hormones that affect the regulation of appetite, they may also play a part. The environment you're in can have an impact. So for example, say that you have a drive for thinness or need to be of a certain weight or a certain size. I guess that's why you kind of see it in celebrities because their body size and shape is microanalyzed. And that's why you see in athletes, especially in weight-based categories, because they are focused on having to hit a certain weight. It can also be linked to poor body image, stress, anxiety, boredom, and feeling a loss of control. In terms of recovery, it is a serious medical condition, so please do get professional help. It's not just a mental health issue. It can have a dramatic impact on your physical health too. One of the things which makes it less obvious than say someone who's dealing with anorexia is that it's common for bulimics to tend to be around sort of normal or average weight. Someone with anorexia is stereotypically going to be slim, very thin. You won't necessarily see that physical manifestation with bulimia. I did find the criteria on the US website, the National Library of Medicine for what the medical criteria is for diagnosis in the US. So it requires binge behavior, which is eating in a two hour period, an amount of food definitely larger than what most individuals would eat in a similar time period and feeling that you can't stop eating. Recurrent compensatory behavior, so vomiting, laxatives, diuretics, fasting, and exercise occurring on average at least once a week for a period of three months. So basically, if I was to break that down into something very, very simplified, we're basically seeing one binge and purge episode per week for three months. It also mentions things like self-evaluation is heavily influenced by body shape, by body weight, and by size. And it also mentioned there's four levels of severity. So mild is one to three episodes per week. Moderate is four to seven episodes per week. Severe is eight to 13 episodes per week. And extreme is 14 or more. In terms of treatment, psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy have both been thought to help. Something that's used in CBT is a recording volume of food and when purge behavior happens so that you can identify and avoid any emotional triggers. And a 2003 study found that this can help in 40 to 60% of cases. It has been shown to work better for adults than for kids though. To be fair, I just pulled that from the Wikipedia page. They didn't quote a source. So please do not take that as an authoritative quote. But that's where I got that from. In some cases, medication is thought to help as well, either to manage emotional triggers or to help regulate hormones, but some sort of therapy is preferred. And even medication seems to deliver best results when combined with counseling or, or therapy of some kind. And there are also self-help and support groups out there. As with every eating disorder, the causes and the support you need in terms of treatment and recovery will be unique and specific to you. If it is something you're dealing with, please do get help. The sooner you can, the easier the recovery can feel and the lower the risk to your health. I mentioned about the three-month criteria for diagnosis. That's the criteria for diagnosis in the US. That doesn't mean you have to wait three months to get help. If you think or suspect you have it, you should get help as soon as possible. Don't wait three months. Don't try and count how many weeks you're having one episode per week. As soon as you have a suspicion, as long as you feel comfortable, start to get help. Recovery with any eating disorder isn't easy. It will be bumpy. You may slip up and you may feel like you're going backwards sometimes. But the important thing will be to take it slow, take it one day at a time, forgive yourself for any slip ups, remind yourself that you're doing something hard because it's worth it and just take your time. I talk about eating disorders fairly regularly on this podcast and on my blog and on my YouTube channel. One thing I don't really talk about is how, if you think someone else has an eating disorder, how you can help them. So I wanted to add this section in and I'm going to talk about how to help someone with bulimia. I've never had to really deal with bulimia myself extensively, but I've had to deal with binge eating disorder and orthorexia. I'm quite self-aware, so I knew what support 
resources were out there and what the professional options were. And something I guess I want to mention is that it's very specific to individuals, what they want, what they need and what they're going through. Like when someone's in a binge cycle, for example, you might think the best thing to do is to you know, try and stop them or interrupt them. And it might be, but on the flip side, they might also get defensive or aggressive if you try and approach or interrupt. Like eating disorders are something that I think a lot of us do feel a bit embarrassed by or that we at least want to hide. So trying to interrupt in the middle of an episode may actually push that person away. That's just something to bear in mind. In terms of like how to help, I'll try and give an answer that's as broad and general as can be, but also try and relate what I felt I would have liked when, I, when my eating disorders were at their peak. So I think it's important not to assume or claim to know anything. Even if you think you know what the person is going through, don't act like you do. If they have an eating disorder, it's always possible unless they've definitely confirmed it. That something you said or did in the past might even be part of that, might even be part of what caused it. It might not, but what I'm saying is just be mindful because you only have a very tiny snippet of the behavior you're seeing. You don't know, you might not know everything that's going on in that person's mind. Understand that eating disorders can feel embarrassing. If someone confronted me and said, I have binge eating disorder, my first reaction would have been to get defensive. I know I have it. I know how I felt when I was at my worst and I was definitely trying to hide it. So someone explicitly saying it would have made me run away from them as soon as possible. Do your research on professional options. You don't have to immediately encourage someone to get help, but knowing the options out there can help you be better prepared. Feel free to reach out to support groups yourself, not necessarily on behalf of the person, but just so you can think of ways to make the topic of eating disorders more approachable and you can feel more ready to have this conversation. You can also try to steer your time around this person away from things that tend to be common issues with eating disorder sufferers. So don't focus on body, shape, size, or weight in any context around them. Try and enjoy regular meals with them and see if they can feel comfortable eating around you. This can be a minefield as you never know if this might trigger an episode. If someone can feel comfortable relaxing any rigid eating or dieting rules around you, that can be a good sign. Practice body positivity a bit more yourself. And I do have a few blog posts on this, but if you can start to appreciate and embrace the things that you might normally expect to be seen as flaws or that you might otherwise have used to have seen as flaws, that might inspire the person with bulimia to appreciate their body that little bit more, especially if that's what's triggered their eating disorder. Being around people that appreciate a greater variety of bodies and so-called flaws is likely to have a positive impact. I've been very good with hiding my eating disorder, so no one in my immediate circle had, or to be honest, even has any idea about it. I don't talk about it in person, which is weird because I know broadcasting it to the whole world on the internet seems pretty fine to me. So I don't really know why I have that problem in person, but here we are. But there is one thing I know I would have really appreciated and cherished more than anything else. And that is someone to just give me a super tight hug and tell me that they know that something's up. They know that I'm working through it. They know that I'm not okay. And that just that I can talk to them about anything. That sounds very vague, but you have no idea that how much value I would have put on a hug just to say, I know you're not okay, but I'm here. Not like saying, you know, I'll be fine. Just, I understand that something's up. That would have meant a lot. I never got that hug from anyone, but I did get through the worst of it. And I feel more comfortable getting help now if I need to. So that, that's a positive. So just to wrap up on bulimia in men, it's a mental and physical health issue. Definitely please to get help if you suspect you have it as soon as possible. There's no shame in having it or in asking for help. You know, especially in men, you know, our desire to not appear weak or vulnerable can hold us back from getting the help we need. So just try and let that go. You can get help from fairly anonymous sources. There's, you know, eating disorder helplines. There's online therapy, which you can do over web chat. So you don't have to do it in person. You can pretty much hide all your details and do it anonymously if you need to. And, you know, if you do suspect someone has an eating disorder, whether bulimia or otherwise, yes, do your best to help. I would also tread carefully because the last thing you want to do is put them on the back foot, make them defensive and end up putting walls up. So maybe you should get, so maybe get some support 
on how to approach it first and then tackle it from there. And I've included links to helplines and to a couple of eating disorder charities in the show notes too. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. As a one-man army, I really could do with all the help I can get, and you would be doing me a huge favor if you could leave a review or a rating to help me get the word out. You won't just be helping me, you might help other men show themselves some kindness and appreciate their bodies more in the process too. Thanks again.